How's it going, Mets and overall baseball fans? Welcome back for the latest episode of Believe in Queens. I don't even know what number it is. Are we at what? 41? I think 42? this is the Seaver episode. I think it's is it? 41. Okay. Awesome. All right. Well, speaking of Tom Seaver, um, actually, they have nothing to do with each other other than the number. So I don't know what I was going with with that one. Either way. Uh, RIP. Speaking of Tom Seaver. Yeah, I mean... seriously, RIP. Yeah. It was nice. I was just at City Field over the weekend. It was cool to see his statue because I had been to games this past season, but really didn't get a chance to go up to it. So it was nice to actually be like front and center and check it out. But today's topic, folks, as many of you guys know by now that are watching live on YouTube or listening wherever you get your audio podcast, is that Carlos Correa is not a New York Met. The saga has continued, but now not with the Metropolitans. He goes all the way back to Minnesota, where he started this offseason by opting out of a two-year deal with $70 million left, only to then sign with them at a guaranteed $200 million deal over six years. So in today's video, we're going to be going over everything that you need to know about this deal between the Twins and Correa, why this didn't work out for the Mets, what the Mets offer, our raw reactions, along with overall what is next for this Mets team this offseason. But before we get into it all, I just want to let you guys know that today's show, as always, is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online is your number one source for all your sports betting needs. So make sure you head over to betonline.ag using promo code BELIEVE at B L E A V. That way you get yourself a 50% off welcome bonus. Bet Online, it's where the games begin. And now, folks, it's officially let the show begin. Whirlwind of a day. You know, I don't know about you guys, but I actually found out about this information yesterday when I was live streaming separately on my channel. And I was like taken back because I didn't. We didn't know for certain, but I was being told that it was increasingly like likely that Correa was going to be going to Minnesota. And then we find out early today by Jeff Passan drops the bomb that Correa signs this deal. So for people that aren't aware on what this contract looked like, again, it's six years, $200 million. And for the Mets, their offer was six years, $157.5 million. The AAV difference from the Twins, 33 mil per year versus the Mets, 26 and a half. And the Mets still did have that $315 million contract over 12 years up there for Correa, but only half of it now was guaranteed. And the bigger thing that stands out from this more than anything, this was initially reported from Michael Marino, who does a great job as an independent reporter. Make sure to check him out on Twitter or wherever you can find him, guys. He went out and reported as well that in this contract that the Mets gave the offer for Correa, every single year Correa would need a mandatory physical and if that physical would not look good, then the Mets would, of course, have the option to end that contract. So for a lot of obvious reasons, Correa is not a Met. He's with the Twins. Financial gain from his family is easily making over $40 million guaranteed. And that's six years span than what he was making with the Mets. And for the Mets, they had clear concern here with the health. So starting off with you, Rec, I want to know what's your raw thoughts on this? Again, last time we spoke, it felt like Correa was almost a sure lock to be a Met. And now here he is back in Minnesota. Yeah, I mean, my reaction is similar to everybody else. I was surprised that, you know, they ended up going a different direction. When you spend as much time as these two sides did, uh, you know, talking and, and trying to work out a deal and, and seeing what you can figure out, um, you expect it to get done. You expect that to happen. And for it not to, um, I think, I, I'll say this, I think it's, it's a letdown for the Mets. It's a letdown for Mets fans. Um, it's not the end of the world, but I will say that based off of what what you're talking about, you know what what we're all hearing that he would have needed to basically have exit physical physicals at the end of every year. And if he didn't, you know, if the ankle or leg or whatever didn't pass a certain threshold, whatever it may have been, 
um, you know, they would have had the right to negate the contract. Ain't happening. It's it's not even. I don't even. I don't even put that on Correa, like or Boris. And I love to put things on Boris, but <laughs> like for the player association is not going to have that. Um, yeah. No other player would want Correa to sign that deal. And that doesn't mean it doesn't mean he can't sign it. But that does mean if, the, if he asked their opinion, if if the Mets went to the player association to try to get this approved, if Boris said, "Hey, you got to pass it by them first, there was no way it was happening. Um, that that's just that's a non-starter. Like that that's exactly what any you know legal would tell you. That's a non-starter. We're not even going there. So if that was really you know the predication on the Mets part, it wasn't going to happen. And I don't question. Steve Cohen's um, desire or intent, but I would say that he was just barking up the wrong tree. It wasn't going to happen. So unfortunately, this was destined to fail. If that was really the case, if that was the case all along, if that's what they were talking about, it was never going to happen. Um, and so basically, you're left to you know wish you had what three weeks of your life back following this thing. <laughs> it wasn't going to yeah. happen. Um, outside of that, you know. I think it's going to be interesting to see kind of how the Mets respond to this. Cause we've seen Cohen do that in the past. Um, you know, whether it was Matt signing elsewhere, whether it was DeGrom signing elsewhere, it'll be interesting to see kind of what their reaction is, what his reaction is, um, you know, kind of to this falling apart for him. What about you, Joe? Yeah, for me, it's like, you know, Rick, you mentioned the whole saga last thing the past three weeks. I'm at the point where it's, been going on and been dragged out for so long that I, I was really like seriously losing interest in the whole thing you know mm -hmm. I mean the way I see it this, this team I, I think is better than last year's team Correa would have made them much better than last year's team but I already think that they're a better team so this is not the end of the world to me would I have loved Correa on a six-year deal for 200 mil yes I would have and I think where the Mets might have gone wrong in this is making it that he has to take an exit physical every year and the contract can be voided Give them the first six years, X amount of money guaranteed. And then, you know, if you want to make it eight years, 10 years, 12 years, you have to pass the physical. But I would have matched Minnesota's just base guarantee of six years, 200 mil. Um, at, the end of the, at the end of the day, they didn't. It is a bummer. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like, oh, you know, it isn't at all. It is. But I think that this team's going to be fine. I think that the lineup is going to be fine. The lineup was good last year. Look at how the Mets did, you know. Uh, throughout the first four months of the season last year. I think the biggest takeaway right now is that, and the reason I say biggest four months, the biggest takeaway here is that the Mets want to improve. There are no more free agents on the market that are really going to make an impact like that. So I think the Mets are going to do so via trade, not right now in the, in the winter, in the off season, but I think this Correa deal falling through ensures that when the deadline approaches, unlike last year, the Mets aren't going to sit on their hands. There will be another big bat. It now might not come until July as opposed to January, but it'll happen. So I'm okay with where the team's at right now. Yeah, I like I like your take there, Joe, especially because while I personally think that we may see Cohen still pivot and the Mets try to do maybe a bigger trade this offseason, I don't think that's completely off the table, maybe the way that you think. But I agree that for, as of right now, at the time of us talking about this as it's happened, I think the stronger likelihood would be towards the deadline versus now. 
Again, we might find out, cheaper, a, you know, yeah, we might find out a report in just a couple days to suggest otherwise, and we'll talk about it then. But yeah, as of now, I agree with that statement that again, the likelihood is probably stronger at the traded line than now. And the Mets, as you said, need to make sure they're not sitting on their hands. But before we get into, you know, what is overall next for the Mets here with losing out on Correa, one thing that I really want to point out is how much Cohen wanted Correa. I mean, you had his wife involved in these negotiations. He's speaking publicly. I mean, when the Mets originally lost out to the Giants, he was visibly like you could tell he was upset just from the 30-minute interview he had with John Heyman and Joel Sherman in the New York Post that came out in that article. Then when he went on to sign the Mets at three – not the Mets. When he went on to sign Correa at three in the morning three weeks ago now, he just said that this was the missing piece. You know, we – I like our team. But Correa takes us to like a new level. This is basically what we needed. We got our guy. And obviously he was saying that in part to gas up the player because he's excited to have him and really put him on a pedestal. That's definitely a factor. But it also holds true that Cohen knows that this team as currently constructed, while it very well could be another 100-win team, it doesn't change the fact that it isn't drastically different than last year. And the Mets may face the same exact struggles this season from either offensive standpoint. I mean, Mets were top five in offense last year. We know that. But they're a team that when they've had their stretches, they've had some rough stretches, you know, and not having that protection around Alonzo. That's something that made Correa so enticing, along with being able to trade guys and make further moves. If you landed Correa, then that makes a Brett Beatty, a Ronnie Mauricio, Mark Vientos, Eduardo Escobar. All those type players are then somewhat expendable if the Mets want to go down that route and try to address other potential areas of need or upgrade at absolute minimum. So there were definitely upsides as to why Correa made sense for this Mets team. And like you, I'm not happy that this happened. I want this guy really bad. I mean, I almost, I was so emotional when the Mets initially signed him. I I kid you not. I was like on the verge of crying just out of pure excitement. I, I truly mean that. So it definitely is a kick in the teeth a little bit to see this happen. But at the end of the day, Steve Cohen for him to retract and go half on that contract and to have these supposed physicals after every year really tells you that not only the Mets, but the Giants alike have clear issues with that medical and the twins. What separates them from these two teams is that the twins are desperate. What do they have? They have nothing right now. They have Byron Bucks. To new I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to interject real quick. Um, what separates the twins is the fact that they had him in house for a year and they know, and they they're willing to take the risk on, said player because they've seen him. And and the only reason I, I want to say that is because obviously when he left Houston, they had already put some money on the table for him. Um, he left that behind and, you know, maybe smartly so. He went to Minnesota for a year and look, this guy said it in the middle of the season. If you want me back, pay me. So whoever's going to get me is going to be the one who pays me. And that's what it came down to for him. Um the whole Giants thing and them showing some, you know, they weren't sure. He jumped to the Mets because he heard they were still going to offer him 300 plus million. They were. They agreed to something. Clearly, that wasn't going to come to fruition. Okay, next team up. Who's going to give me the most money this year and in the coming years, at least that I can maximize my value? And that's what he got. And I think the Twins showed a willingness to do this literally because they've had this guy in house. They've seen him work. They know what he's capable of and they know that he despite this takes care of himself in some way that they felt comfortable going out on this risk if the minnesota twins are willing to pay a guy six years 200 million dollars i would have thought 
that this new Mets regime would be willing to spend more than that to get him to come in. But they weren't comfortable with something, whether it was doctors, the lawyers, whoever it was. They weren't comfortable with something. The twins were. And so to me, that actually shows more in the way of I wouldn't be worried about Correa if the team who had him for a year said, we're good. We're going to we're fine. Just come back to us because we'll pay you a crap ton of money. I don't care if it's less than 350 million. He's still getting a lot of money. He's, if if things work out the way I'm sure he wants, he'll get six years, 200 and potentially be able to take another bite out of the apple. So that's I just uh, to me, I think that, yes, the twins aren't going to be good this year, but at least they're trying. Like, I'm not going to knock on a team that goes out and actually spends on a guy and says, Look, we're going to try. We're going to do something. Are they ready to compete? Not in my opinion. They need help in the rotation and the bullpen, a little bit more in that lineup. Like, they need a lot of help, but at least they're trying. And and before I get to you, Joe, I just want to add with my point. No, that's a very fair point by you, Rec, from the knowing that he had already been there for a year. So they do understand his medical. Now, what's interesting to me is I did see reporting prior to – this, you know, we're talking a couple weeks ago when the twins were still originally in it with the Giants and that the twins hadn't deep dived the medical long term yet, according to multiple re- reports, because they didn't have to because they had Correa on a short term deal. Now, obviously, they're able to handle that risk. And it seems like that he's going to get cleared in his physical now with the twins. But not only that, you just also have to look at how that team is currently constructed, right? They have some very exciting young talent in that infield and some solid outfield prospects. Byron Buxton is really that main talent when he can stay healthy. I think he's one of the most electric players out there. I stand by that. But having Correa is one of those guys where he does help them go from a team that, you know, not in a great division as is, but can help propel them to hopefully be more of a playoff contender and just get some excitement there in Minnesota. So, how we viewed the Mets where Correa was a luxury, not as much of a need because they already have guys that can play third and Escobar and Beatty versus what you have now at short there still with the Minnesota Twins. But overall, this is a deal where the Mets, again, you're wondering why didn't they do this? Why wouldn't they even go 200 over six, right? And that's what goes me back to the original thought process of what did they see in that medical? What did they find out from the doctors? Because I'd have to imagine that it took a hell of a lot to make Cohen, Epler, them stay this insured and protected as possible where it really wasn't in that much benefit of the player. I mean, just I still cannot wrap my head around having a physical done every year and basically it being where if there's at any point something not looking good at physical, then the Mets could have the option of opting out of that deal. That's just That seems like asinine to me. I've never heard of something like that in baseball have you either well, that, that's the thing it's never happened and that's why to rex point before it's like forget boris forget correa the, the players association wouldn't let something like that happen yeah because it's, it's never been done it that deal in no way shape or form uh is is in the interest of the player um you know it's it's pretty absurd and so you know to to your point tyler that's why like what i said before i would have at least matched minnesota's offer i mean you know 200 million dollars a lot of money to steve cohen it's pissing the ocean and, uh, you know, for six years, like I was hoping this whole time when when the rumors came out that there was a holdup over the physical, I was hoping it was going to result in a seven year deal. My number was seven years two ten. Uh, and, and, you know, no offense to Correa. Obviously, I want him to be successful and have a long career. But, you know, I, I'd much rather give a guy seven years for two ten than be locked into him for 12 years till he's 40, 41 years old. Uh, so the deal he ended up getting is essentially very similar to the deal I was hoping the Mets would offer him. Um 
you know, you could talk about physical opt-outs after six years, but you need some sort of guarantee, some sort of safety net. Uh, and so the Mets didn't give it to him. You know, at the end of the day, it is what it is. I, I wish they had for, for that amount of years and that amount of money. Um, but, you know, they didn't. I wish him the best. I don't, I don't have any ill will towards Correa. I know a lot of people out there do. A lot of fan bases do. Uh, I like him. I wish him the best. And I think at the same time, the Mets will be fine. I don't think this has ever been an issue of the Mets being fine or not. I, I think this goes again, just with the Mets wanting to be over the top than what they currently are, which and, I and they commend will Cohen for. And, yeah. and they, they will be by September. Don't forget this lineup was one of the best in baseball through four months last year. Uh, faded in September, faded in the playoffs. I think a big piece of that was Starling Marte's injury. Even when he came back late, he still wasn't the same after getting his finger broken against Pittsburgh. Um, you know, we, we could dive into that all night long, but I think that this team and this lineup will be fine and will be even better come October because the Mets right now, in my opinion, you know, this, this question was tossed around the believe offices earlier today. What's the window in New York? Well, Alonzo could be here his whole career. Lindor is here another eight plus years. The Mets, you know, there's never going to be a sharp window because of Steve Cohen's money. But right now, before you can label them a disappointment, you're looking at a two year window because they've got Max and they've got Justin Verlander for the next two years. So you're looking at a two-year window right now, and I think the Mets will not get any worse in this two-year window. I think, you know, even if opening day we're disappointed, Gray is not on the roster, that roster will be different. And unlike last year, this year will be much better after the deadline. Fair enough. All right, Rec, any final remarks regarding Correa before we hop into what's next for this team? I think the one thing that I want to remember is a lot of us were – we're talking about, at least I was, um, I didn't think this team had gotten a whole lot better from the previous year. And I know people don't really like to hear that sometimes, but the, the thing that I've always said that a lot of athletes have always said is if you're not getting better, you're getting worse. Like there's no in between, there's no staying the same. Um, and so I thought this Correa deal, I didn't think it was just not just like, you know, a cherry on the top or, or just um, extra. I, I really thought it addressed a need. It addressed a power need in this lineup. This lineup was good last year, but the one thing you could say about the teams that got to the World Series and, and did better in the playoffs was they supplied power. There was power throughout their lineup. At some point, you felt like, yeah, some damage could be done. Like Cleveland gave it a great run but it wasn't going to happen. Um, the Mets just couldn't get it done. Like the teams that advanced were the teams who hit home runs and the Mets didn't do that. You're not going to be able to dink and dunk your way through a season and through the playoffs. Could you get lucky and do it in the playoffs? Maybe, but you're going to have to get really hot. You're all your guys are going to have to hit. You need some guys who are going to pop some out. And if you can pitch around the one guy in the lineup who can do that for you in Alonzo, that makes it a whole lot more difficult for you to find that in the playoffs. So, yes, the Mets don't need Carlos Correa. Not saying that. But I thought this was a bigger loss than just a superfluous, oh, great, we got Carlos Correa. Like, I thought that this answered a big question for them. And now that they don't have it, I do wonder. They don't have to do it right now, to your point, Joe. It, it doesn't have to be done right now. Nothing ever has to get done before the season. As long as you have a team that's able to go out there, compete for 120 games, you'll have a team that can go out there and get into the playoffs, and that's what you really need because 
once you make those moves at the end of July, then you compete for the playoffs and, you know, and into, into October, that's, that's what matters. And I think they still have the opportunity to do that. I'm just saying that the Correa deal really signified like, Oh, okay. (laughs) Now this team, they might be the best team in the NL. And as it stands now without Correa, I don't believe they are. And that's okay. I'm just saying that I, I thought Correa meant a little bit more than that. Yeah. I, and I, it's, I that's that definitely fair. But, but the one thing I will say when it comes to Correa and, you know, you talk about the Mets lack of power specifically, this is a guy who's, you know, not to diminish it. He's a great ball player, but when you just look at power, he's never had 30 home runs. He's never knocked in a hundred RBI. Yep. I, I mean, you know, he's a really good hitter, a guy that can hit 290. But how many guys hit 30 home runs on this team last year? Two, right? Lin, how many Lindor have? Did he finish with I one? thought he had 28 or 29. Did well, he get right, to 30? So just shy. So just shy. I, I, maybe I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Yeah, no, Lindor's a fringe 30 home run hitter. He's a fringe 30 home run guy. He was a 100 RBI guy last year. Yes. Um, but, you know, you, you look at this Mets team, and truthfully, it's like if Correa is going to hit 25, I'm not comparing them. Correa is a gold glove defender. He's a higher average hitter. But who's to say Brett Beatty can't hit 25? Who's to say if he reverts to what he did two seasons ago that Eduardo Escobar can't hit 25? And I know people in the comments are probably going to misconstrue this and come for me and say I'm comparing Escobar to Correa. I'm not. But I'm saying no, you're not. But if either of them hit 25 home runs this year, we're going to come up with something and I'll do it because that didn't happen. <laughs> I mean, I, I think that I think that it wouldn't be crazy if the Mets got the same amount of home runs from the third base position without Correa as they would with him. You're losing defense. I like Beatty. The power is not going to be there yet. I like Beatty, but the power is not going to be there yet. Okay. Um, Escobar, to me, I, he's okay. I don't. I, mean, I, I don't have see what, him 17, 18 home runs and like one of the worst seasons of his career. That's a tough place to hit, man. I don't see it getting better is all I'm saying. Yeah. I, I, I just think that – I think you could still get the same home run production. You're losing defense. You're losing average. You're losing, you know, veteran leadership, maybe clutch hitting. It, it's not – I'm not comparing any of these guys. I'm saying they're just strictly from pop in the lineup. Correa doesn't provide all the pop in the world like I think some people associate him with. I, I think it's not only just – pop that he brings as a 2025 home who knows Correa could at some point playing at third base is what which is what he would have done with the Mets he was even according to Boris playing to bulk up a little bit maybe he would have gotten more strength in his swing and put more out we don't know that we're never going to know that now at this rate but what I do know and this is where I'm kind of you know in agreement with you wreck a little bit in disagreement with you Joe I love the idea of seeing what the kids can give you. And I know that the Mets are going to allow leashes to a degree more so with Beatty. I'd imagine than any other guy. I mean, from Anthony Tacoma the other day, he said that Alvarez is not even expected to start the year on the Mets roster. We'll see if that holds true or not, depending on spring training and how he does there. But you know, Mark Vientos is strictly a DH guy right now. Doesn't have the glove. And while Beatty's glove isn't perfect, he's a top third base prospect in baseball for a reason. And the Mets are, rightfully so going to give him opportunities as they will explain time with Escobar, but both those guys and Alvarez, if he gives you any type of significant production throughout the year, that those are such big uncertainties. And I just love the idea of still bringing in someone that can impact you to a degree. Now, I don't believe the Mets are going to go out there and be able to get a Correa esque player because that's really difficult, but I will be a little surprised, honestly, if the Mets don't at least consider where it's reported that the Mets are going out and pursuing some rather significant trades. Now, what to what degree, what those players are going to be exactly that is yet to be seen. But Correa was a guy that didn't just give you pop. 
He gave you really strong defense at third, you'd imagine, and the championship pedigree, knowing what it takes to win, helping out in the clubhouse. There were a lot of factors that went into why Correa was appealing. And now trying to get something as a potential substitute for that is going to be difficult. So as we get into what's next for this Mets team, you know, I know that you, Joe, really do not believe the Mets are going to do anything crazy this offseason still. And while that may hold true, I'm going to counter here right now and say that the Mets are going to make sure that they're at least putting in a valiant effort. And if the prices are way too high and they don't do it, they don't do it. But I just don't imagine that Steve Cohn is satisfied right now because if he was, then the Mets would have Correa. I mean, again, the fact that the Mets weren't even able to get Correa after how much Cohen won him is telling of just how much risk was going on there and not worth it in their eyes. So one player stands out to me, and there are plenty of others too, I'm sure, in the trade market that hasn't really been discussed. And this is, again, do I believe it's feasible right now? No, but do I think it's officially a possibility until proven otherwise? Yes, and that is Brian Reynolds. Yes, he's going to cost you an arm and a leg, 100%. And yes, he's not a position of need. However, him shifting to, say, left field, putting Cannon on the bench would make this team much deeper. Reynolds has been a great player in his young career. And according to the Pirates, they want not only top prospects, because I've heard from the Yanks, they've wanted one of Volpe or Peraza. They've wanted one of those top shortstop prospects. So do that in comparison with the Mets and their infielders. But they also would like some top pitching prospects. And that's a concern for me, considering the Mets really don't have much. They've traded a lot away the past couple of years. You have Matthew Allen, uh, uh, Dominic Camel, who we interviewed on the podcast a couple months ago, and uh, Calvin Ziegler, Blade Tidwell. That's your core four, really, of uh, pitching prospects. And the Mets want to bolster that up still before probably parting with them. But um, when it comes to talent, guys who want to be dealt or on the trading block, Brian Reynolds is probably one of the only options out there, whether he's realistic or, realistic or not. I think the Mets are going to now enter the rain and see if that's at all a possibility. What do you guys think? I, I don't. I don't see Reynolds happening. I, I don't see that happening right now, ahead uh, of the season. I think the Mets. You know, I don't. I don't think they're going to be reluctant to eventually part ways with some of these guys, the Beatys, the Vientoses, etc. Um, I just think that right now is not not the time because then you're handicapping yourself come the deadline. And I think that the Mets are going to want to have everyone intact. You know, for when the deadline rolls around, I think the extent of what they would have done would have been. Um, you know, maybe like a Vientos to the White Sox deal for a Liam Hendricks, who, by the way, Liam Hendricks, uh, thoughts and prayers are with him. Right now, he's going through some health stuff. Yeah, but I think, me, you know, maybe one guy like a Vientos in a deal like that would have worked. They're not going to unload the farm for Reynolds right now, knowing that they're going to need some of those guys in play in July. What about Willie Adonis? Yeah. Oh, um, I don't know. I think the Brewers. The them too. I don't well I'll go with Reynolds first I like Reynolds a lot as a player um had a down half a season last year second half he was actually really good um love him I think he's a great offensive player defensively he's a corner outfielder um probably a left fielder um like Joe mentioned so I look I, I like him I don't know what the price would be and if it would really match value wise um and it doesn't seem like Pittsburgh's wanting to trade him nor are they getting an offer that's blowing them away right now. So that would, that tells me that he probably is the value that they're seeking is probably quite high. So I would say you punt on that for now. Um, wait till see what happens, you know, around the deadline. Maybe he's available. Maybe, you know, Pittsburgh changes their mind. Maybe the value comes down. We'll see what happens. Uh, as far as Willie Adamas, uh, I like him provides power, but what, I, what are you going to give up for him? Because the Brewers are competing. Like to me, they're a top two team in that division. They're looking to 
compete in the NL for, you know, for a chance to go to the world series. Like I'm not, I don't know why they would trade him is basically what I'm, you know, where I'm going with this. I, um, it would take a lot. The value would be significant. And again, it just doesn't really make sense for me right now um, to make that kind of a trade. I think what you do is you go into the season, see what you've got when some of your guys, whether that's Beatty, Vientos, um, you know, Escobar plays over a little bit, whatever you figure it out. If things aren't working, you can pivot. You can make a trade pre deadline. You don't have to wait till July 31st to make a trade. So you figure it out, you do what you need to do. Um, but until then, I think you, you pretty much write it out. I don't see a, a big bat coming in via a trade. Okay. And when you look at bats too, uh, we, what we did know is prior to Korea and everything going on there. And even during rather, the Mets were still believed to be in the market for at least a fourth outfielder and some more bullpen help. So those are realistic moves that are destined to still happen in the near future. Bullpen side things, and we'll get into in a second. The Mets reportedly today, as from John Heyman, are in the market for Zach Britton, uh, the former Yankee, of course, former longtime reliever for Buck Showalter, uh, the Southpaw, who's dealt with some health issues over the past couple years, is a guy who I personally am not opposed to at all, especially in kind of a Trevor May situation where you're going to have him in more, you know, not so much high leverage situations, but just eating some innings when needed. And if he really starts to progress and look like the Zach Britton somewhat of old, then you can put him in more of a bigger role down the stretch. Uh, we talked about Andrew Chafin. I know that the Mets have still been in that market, but that still might be a little pricier than what they want, considering they have guys that can clearly get lefties out now and Brooks Raley, David Robertson. But offensively, bats-wise, uh, there aren't much out there left. You look at the Adam Duvalls. That's the pop, but very big swing and miss. The Jerks and Profar is a guy that can play in left, split time if need be with Canna based on matchups. Switch hitter, more of a contact guy, doesn't have a lot of pop, but can get on the base pass and provide a little bit of speed. Uh, plenty of defensive versatility. Andrew McCutcheon, more so DH and the left field. Not You're not going to get much defense out of him, but can handle left if need be. Still has some pop uh, in his swing for sure. And outside of that, there really isn't anyone else that comes to mind besides a Trey Mancini, who's pretty much just a standalone DH. You will not see him in the outfield much, if at all. So when you look at those guys, uh, what's left and relievers wise going into Zach Britton, uh, Joe, starting with you, what, what do you think is most appealing for the Mets right now from the free agent market, putting the trade stuff aside? Yeah. Brit Britain's the guy. I mean, we've been talking about him on this pod for a while now. Like, you know, he should be cheap, right? Because health's been a concern. Take a flyer on him, one-year deal, five, six mil, and uh, let it rip. The bullpen's already much improved. You know, we got Rex's favorite guy back. Adovino's coming back. Um, but, you know, to my point as to why I wanted Adovino back, which we discussed, you know, a month or so ago when it happened, it's like he goes from being your second highest leverage guy, because I don't want to use seventh, eighth inning guy anymore. Like, Adovino last year was your second highest leverage guy. Now he's your fourth. The bullpen is fantastic right now you know Rayleigh Robertson coming in there add Britain to there and, and you're playing with house money when it comes to the pen right if Britain returns to the Britain of old then it's like you don't even have to sweat if Edwin Diaz you know needs to take a night off and if Britain isn't great well we took a flyer it didn't pan out you know you cut him whatever chase and treat him um so yeah I, I think it's worth the shot I think Britain should be the top priority right now he's going to be cheap he hopefully can be effective uh as far as position players you know Profar's defensive versatility is enticing. None of these guys have bats that I think are going to change the team. If you want pop, Duval's the guy. If you want versatility, Profar is the guy. That's just what it comes down to to me. Yeah, there aren't a whole lot of bats out there. Um, and I agree. If you want some versatility, there's ways to go. Duval's the pop guy. 
Um, nothing's going to put me over the top. Nothing's going to make me go, ooh, yay, this team's so much better. Um, Zach Britton kind of does. I, I like Zach Britton. I really do. Uh, when this guy's healthy, I mean, he is phenomenal. And he, you know, I'll, I'll say this. Ottavino being back is probably one of the reasons I really want Britain because I don't trust Ottavino. So not that you could trust Britain's health, but look, if you got both of them, one of them's going to be good this year, right? Like that's <laughs> is that how it works, Rick? Is that a guarantee? I mean, you, I don't know. You have to hope, right? Like yeah. what are they doing with Verlander and Scherzer? Like, are they both going to be healthy all year? I don't know, but we'll see. But seriously, I mean, I, I do. I like Zach Britton. And he's not like a lefty guy. Like this guy gets everybody up. It doesn't matter. He's ground ball machine. Um, he can rack up some strikeouts, but he's more of a, just that sinker. It's just filthy, good slider. Um, I, I really like him. Uh, again, it could be, it could not work out. And hopefully the value on that contract is around that five, $6 million range. It could be a little bit more. I would, I would guess more like eight, nine he, he'll get just because he's Zach Britton and he is that good when he's healthy. Um, but that said, I, it's not my money. I'd go for it. Why not? Um, you know, that's a piece that you could definitely add that could potentially be a, a real, like a real deal breaker for this team. I mean, that could be the piece that gets you over the top. You get to down, you know, end of the year, even if you don't, you have some of these question marks in the starting rotation with guys who are a little bit older. Anyway, you may have to fill innings. There's another arm that you could put back there. And it, it really does take a lot of pressure off of, a a Drew Smith or, or, you know, anybody else who you might have in that bullpen that you're not sure how many innings you want to give to them. Um, and it certainly gives you a lot more options. So yeah, big Zach Britton fan. Love that idea. I am not, like I said, not thrilled with a whole lot of other options out there. I just saw a name in the chat in terms of outfield depth. And I don't know, maybe I'm living in the past here. Maybe it's just because I love this guy so much. What about Andrew McCutcheon as a potential fourth outfielder? Oh yeah. I, ma- I mentioned him. Money? Did he not hear me? Oh, no. No, I'm sorry. I just I read it, I read it in the chat. Name. Sorry, sometimes I tune you out, Wardy. I just think that Andrew <laughs> McCutcheon, like, because I feel like Profar and Duval are the guys that we, we spend the most time on. And I feel like McCutcheon would be interesting. You know, obviously, he wouldn't help this team get any younger. But if you're looking for just, you know, a savvy vet as a fourth outfielder, I think he'd be worth a flyer. I, I'd actually prefer him to, to Duval. And then when it comes to Profar, you know, you get more versatility uh, defensively with Profar. But in terms of the lineup, in terms of the clubhouse, I'd prefer McCutcheon to either of those guys. They're they're positives to McCutcheon. I, I'm I'm not against McCutcheon being part of this team. I, I love him as a player. I love playing against him. He's just a great dude. Yeah. Um, he'd be awesome, you know, as a part of this team. But you know, I don't I don't know that it's again. It's not one of those pieces that puts you over the top. But I, I like it. I like it more than, I mean, I, the only reason I like Profar is because of the versatility defensively. Right. He's actually bad everywhere defensively. So <laughs> he can play a like, lot of positions, but not well. He can play a lot, but he's just not good at them. Right. Great. Like throw me out there. I'll go play left field. Yeah. I'll suck yeah. at it. No, yeah. uh, but seriously though, like I, I, I do like, I do like McCutcheon. I think he'd be an, he's an interesting option. Um, you know, as a, as a fourth outfielder, you can't bank on him for, you know, more than a hundred games, but, I'm okay with that because he brings excitement. He plays the game the right way, and he's just, just a good dude. And a counter to him, unlike someone like Profar as well. Profar, again, has that defensive versatility, is faster, You know, just has more elements to his game overall. McCutcheon does have the pop. And if we are focusing strictly on the Mets wanting some more power in this lineup, especially coming off the bench or in roles where he's at the DHs, you know, if he's playing time with Volga back, depending on how they want to orchestrate the DH hands of the season. I mean, he had 17 home runs last year, the year prior 27. 
So the the power has still been there with McCutcheon. It's just a matter of how much is it going to be sustainable next year and in a fairly limited role. I mean, this past year he played in 134 games. I'd imagine that if he would be with the Mets, it wouldn't be to that degree. Uh, maybe at most 100, right? Depending on how exactly the Mets want to utilize him. But definitely another name to keep in mind. But before we get up to wrapping up the show, I do see we have a plethora of donations that we're going to get to. So we're going to do that now. But also shout out everyone watching the live show or listening wherever you, wherever you get your audio podcast. If you're on audio, make sure to rate, review. All that great stuff really does mean a lot. And also for people in the live stream watching live or on replay on YouTube, make sure to smash that like and subscribe on. It really does help support not only the channel, but the podcast as well. We appreciate everyone's support. But now let's get into a couple donations here. Pat Benson says, this has nothing to do with uh, today's topics. However, this will go down as one of the great debates. Who is Mets' greatest pitcher, Seaver or DeGrom? For me, I think because of how DeGrom's tenure has ended with the Mets, I have to go with Tom naturally. Um, do I think pure talent-wise, was anyone better than Jake? No. I don't I don't think that Seaver was better, just pure talent-wise than Jake, honestly. But I think best met, I, I have to go with Seaver right now. Seaver had a curveball that was maybe maybe the hardest pitch to hit in the late 60s, early 70s. It's tough to compare guys that pitch decades apart from one another. Um, but Seaver went out there and he was gonna go nine. You know, Seaver went out there and, you know, again, radar guns weren't the same back then, right? Nolan Ryan's famous pitch that was 100.8 miles per hour. Now, nowadays with updated technology shows that that pitch was 108 miles per hour, not 100.8 miles per hour. Uh, so Seaver back then hitting 97, 98 was probably uh, in the triple digits way more than anyone would think. 300 wins, got a championship. Tom Seaver's the best pitcher in Mets history. No disrespect to Jake. Tom, Tom, terrific. It, you know, there's a reason that uh, up until very recently, up until Ken Griffey, Tom Seaver had the highest percentage of Hall of Fame votes in MLB history. Yeah. Um, this one sucks for me. <laughs> uh, well, a lot of these do, to be honest with you. I hate talking about guys who played before I was born because I don't know. what I, I really don't. Like, I don't know the impact that they had. I You hear about it. You have to talk to – obviously, I, I was a Met. Like, I, I know what – he meant to this franchise and, but I just, if I haven't seen it with my own two eyes, it's hard for me to like, to really feel it. Right. Like that's how we connect to the game. We're emotional yep. beasts. Like we connect to it that way. What our, you know, physical feelings are toward the game. They're connected to uh, memories we have from it. I don't have that with him. That said, obviously like I played with DeGrom dude's phenomenal, but I mean, his, his tenure in New York is kind of marred by something. And so, whether or not we want it to be and whether or not he is physically better than 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 Seaver was, which he probably is. I mean, this guy's, yeah, if you put them on the mound together right now today, like prime Seaver and prime DeGrom, Seaver, first of all, would be better than he was then because he would have different technology, different ways to work out, all that stuff. That's why comparing areas, like you said, is tough. But that said, I mean, you have to go Seaver. How do you not? Like, the, I don't know. Is there going to be a statue of DeGrom one day? No. No. All righty. Now let's get into the next comment. This is from Danny. He says, we already talked about Adamus, so I really don't think we need to harp on more. However, Danny asks, you know, having Adamus for second or third with McNeil, fourth outfielder in DH. Nah, I mean, McNeil's going to be playing every day, rightfully so. He, he's so damn good defensively, as he is offensively. I mean, coming off of the Silver Slugger Award, uh, you know, being the best contact hitter in baseball right now, 
you got to have McKitts getting as many at-bats as possible. Uh, so Adamus, while I wouldn't be opposed to Adamus as potentially a third base fit, um, at the same time, you could also make the counter that where Adamus is as a player, you know, maybe give more of a leash to Brett Beatty, for example, and Eduardo Escobar to see what that gives you. Um, it might not be worth in the end to go give the type of package for Adamus, even though that I wouldn't be opposed to the Mets pursuing that as an option. But thank you, Danny. I appreciate that donation. Big one here from Charles. Thank you for the $20 donation. He says, hey, guys, quick question here. If the Mets were willing to go six years like the Twins, why would they not match the $200 million? Also, the first six years are guaranteed. It's the latter six that would require a yearly physical. Now, Charles, I'm not, not sure where exactly you saw this because I haven't really seen anything to this point to confirm that. I'm not saying you're wrong. I've just seen from reporting that it started in the jump in the, in the contract. Now, if it's after the sixth season, that would make a lot more sense from the Mets, and I would understand that. I think I think what Charles is saying is, why would they not have done it this way? Like, why would they not have worded it? Here's six for two hundred million to start, and then you would do and start the physicals after that. He's asking, why didn't the Mets do that? I, I think, and oh, okay. in that case. I don't think it matters um, because I don't think that would have worked. I don't think that stipulation was ever going to work in a contract. That said, it is surprising that the Mets didn't come up from that six for 157. It was basically yeah. like, hey, you already agreed to make $27 million a year, so we're not going to go above that. We we feel like you showed us your hand and that you don't feel you're worth more than $27 million a year. So we'll keep you at that and just do it for six. And to me, that just... I don't know. It wasn't going to happen. Um, especially obviously if you have any other team willing to go out there and, and, and spend above it, which the twins proved to be, you know, capable of doing, which who would have thought that. And the Mets had, you know, three weeks of negotiations with this. So they had their dear sweet time to really go over everything imaginable and how to bring Correa in. So the fact that they stayed stubborn at that price point, again, is just really telling to me as to I don't know what they saw or what they've heard, but clearly it's enough to really spook them where they, they can't even go past. I, because normally money isn't an issue with Cohen, but there's something to be said here about not going past 26.5 per year for him. 100% agree. Uh, thank you so much for the donation of Fundamentals. Appreciate that one. Let's get to some more donations before we wrap things up because I know we got plenty more. Ed with the $5 donation says... Annoyed because, I don't know, six years guaranteed just seems like a bargain with that upside. But do we really think Cohen lets this fall through without a plan B? That's a good question. And this has been why, me personally, I don't really know what the proper route will be for the Mets from here. Because, again, I always, I'm thinking about Cohen's comments. His comments about Correa has just stood out so much to me and about the Mets team. He went on public record to the New York Post and said, while I've liked what the Mets have done this offseason, we really aren't any different than what we were last season. And it was said in a manner that makes you believe that the Mets, again, are still missing a piece. And he reaffirmed that when they landed Correa by saying that, yes, this is our missing piece. He takes us over the top. So I do believe they have things in mind for a plan B, whether that's likely or unlikely as yet to be seen. But of course, the Mets have been in discussions on potential pivots. That just has not become public yet to this point and we'll find out if it will at all um anything to add guys on that one okay 
Um, Johnny, thank you so much for the $5 donation. Appreciate that. He says, I think that Steve, when he looks back on this uh, escapade, will come to uh, see that he really caught a break uh, with the uh, with the bats of Beatty, et cetera, on deck. And again, I really like Brett Beatty. It's not, this has never been about not liking Brett Beatty and his potential. He's literally one of the top third base prospects in the league. So I hope you're right. And I hope that Brett Beatty does become a really, really strong player in this organization, whether it's at third or whether it's potentially in left field, because something that I actually wanted to mention earlier, I didn't get a chance to, and I'll just briefly touch on it here before we get some more comments is, according to Michael Marino, he did say that internally, the Mets had discussed many Machado's availability next offseason as a potential factor into the final steps of their negotiations with Correa. So that's interesting too. I mean, next offseason, there's two big bats available in a class of their own. It's Shohei Otani and it's Manny Machado. Could the Mets potentially pursue both of them? I mean, I will never put anything past Cohen at this rate, so who knows? But it is interesting knowing that those comments are more than likely holding true because, like I said, Michael does a great job, has been on the money with a lot of his reporting over the past two years. So I'm not going to come out and say that that was a bluff. I do believe that there's definitely some truth to that one. Um, but Juan says, blessing in disguise, guys. Got to trust the docs. Again, hopefully, hopefully, Juan. Again, I appreciate that donation. Thank you. Uh, some more here. Dan says, Hey guys, nice show Reynolds in play. We don't know yet. That's what we're trying to figure out. So possibly, um, if so, what about two team trades since pirates need pitching example, Tampa Bay Rays, since they always have a good farm system. I mean, two teams, two team trades are always tricky. Uh, we've seen that the Mets actually did multiple multi-team trades in their first off season with Cohen. Um, one was with, uh, the Andrew Benatendi deal where, uh, they got clearly in that one. And the other was uh, Joey Lucchese and the Joe Musgrove deal. So the Mets aren't unfamiliar with that. That's definitely something to keep in mind. And I'm not sure. Uh, what What do you guys think about that? A potential like three-team deal involved for a Brian Reynolds? Yeah, I'll send Darren Ruff to Tampa Bay and, uh, <laughs> you know, see, see what we can get for Re- – I mean, I, I don't think it's happening. You know, and that dono came actually a while ago. I was going to point that out. That came right before we started talking about Reynolds, ironically. So we did hit on a lot of it. Uh, just to reiterate, I, I just don't see that one happening. I don't see Reynolds being a Met. Okay. Blade with the $5 donation says, boys, Cohen has angered the other owners by spending. So they are going to ask for the moon and stars in trades. Look at what happened at the deadline. It's a, it depends on what owner, you know, it depends on what owner. I don't think every single owner in baseball absolutely hates Steve Cohen. Am I wrong for saying that? If, if you can make your, first of all, the trades don't always involve owners. Let's, let's, let's make that clear. Yeah. Um, that's that's a front office decision but um and by front office obviously i mean the gm and those around them coaching staff um but if you can make your team better as a front office you're not going to turn that down and if an owner does i mean i could see maybe the cubs did because they've been going the wrong way for a while now and maybe that is maybe that was some bad influence i don't know but um you know, I don't I don't see that being an issue or a hindrance throughout most of baseball. Maybe some are petty and they're holding it against him. I don't know, but I would like to think that that won't be the case. If that's the case, hold it against the Phillies, hold it against the Padres, hold it against the Dodgers, hold it hold it against some of the other teams that are going out and obviously not afraid to spend too. So no, I don't I don't see it as this being just a um, a mark against Steve Cohen. Rob with the fire donation. This is a good one. This is a guy that I would like to talk about more. And that's 
Do you guys think the O's would part with Anthony Santander? He'd be a great addition to the Mets lineup. I like Santander quite a bit. I think he's a player that would definitely be a potential fit for the Mets and wouldn't be as costly as Brian Reynolds because he doesn't have the same track record. I mean, Santander is coming off of a great year with the O's. I know that they are a team on the rise, so I'm not sure exactly how much they'd be willing to part with someone like him. He's a free agent in 2025 still, so two more years of team control. 33 home runs, 89 RBIs last year with a 240 average and a uh, just under 800 OPS. So solid numbers for Santander, who can play in both corners in the outfield along with DH. Yeah, it's funny he got brought up because every year in July, I come out with my all-star game roster predictions. Not necessarily a prediction of what it will be, more what it should be. And he was my rep for the Orioles over Lopez because the AL was so deep at pitching that I had to leave Lopez off for Dylan Cease, a guy who was, if you guys remember, robbed of an all-star appearance. Um, and Santander was the guy. There's no way the O's let him go. He's cheap. He's controllable. He's a 30 home run guy. Um, I, he'd be great. I'd love to have him. There's no shot. The O's are trying to compete this year. Yeah. Um, if you get to the deadline and and it's not there and it's not working, maybe they consider it then. And that's where we said, maybe it happens then. It's not going to happen before the season. If they trade Anthony Santander before the season, I'm, I'll just straight up go over there and Who's there? Is it Mike Elias? Is he still their GM? I'll just go straight punch him because that be <laughs> like, please don't do that, Mike. Uh, please. Uh, I mean, yeah, they're fun. They, they got a good thing going in Baltimore, man. I, you know, yeah. like your point, Rex, they didn't miss the playoffs by much this year. And, and got they just got kids. James McCann. They're going to win the World Series. So, I mean, Dude, what's there to worry about? <laughs> Come back later of the year, James McCann. <laughs> oh, man. Beatty to third and Mauricio to left or vice versa. Uh, Fireblazing asks. I would still. I would probably still say Beatty the third right now because Beatty is being brought up as a third base prospect, a top one. Mauricio, I can see transitioning perfectly fine and left. Um, that's my opinion, at least. Pat says, Seaver did face some great hitters of all time. Yes, he did. And now let me see if there's anything left. Uh, Luis, thank you, says, might as well see what you have in Beatty and even Ryan Mauricio mix in with a young and veteran. And again, that's what the Mets are destined to do. They're going to be balancing the youth with the vets on this team, along with any so. external options that they have. They saw, I, again, I believe that they will, right? Because there's no reason for them not to at this point. Uh, if, if they give a leash and say the kids aren't doing well, then okay. Then you go to back to, to more Escobar and the Beatty situation. Or if they if Mauricio gets any time, for example, then we'll talk about that then. Alvarez, if he even starts the team or gets any bulk of playing time this year and really does struggle, then okay. Then you just stay with Nito and Narvaez until – Proven otherwise. That's just how it's going to be. But with that being said, we got to all the donations, took a little bit, but that is going to wrap up the show, guys. So I want to thank you all so much that are watching or listening wherever you get your podcast. The Tom Seaver episode of Believe in Queens, guys. We are breaking down everything that you need to know in Carlos Correa. Next time we talk will probably be either when the Mets make some more lower-level moves or just in general on what is going to happen next for the team in Queens. But again, thank you so much. Make sure to smash those buttons, and we'll talk to you again real soon. Let's Love that last game. comment, by the way. Giovanni uh, with the Love Darren it. Ruff for Julio Rodriguez trade. Yep. Oh, who I says no? I think Epler's going to pull that off. Who says no? Trust in Billy Big Bucks. All Throwing right, guys. While we're at it. <laughs> How are we going, folks? Peace out. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.